Uh-oh. I see low ABV drinks and historical knowledge in your future. Welcome to Buzzed History, the only segment in the nation where you can learn about our country while also enjoying an extremely responsible amount of alcohol. Buzzed History is a licensed segment of Down the Middle, a political podcast with Justin Siegel and Rob Leifer. Make sure to tune in to our regular episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. And don't forget to stay tuned after this segment for another insightful, measured, and civil Down the Middle interview. Now, here's your host, the slinger of stats, the messenger of moderation, the professor of punch, Justin Siegel. Justin Siegel. Wow. Looks like we have new intros everywhere these days. Hello, and welcome to another Buzzed History. Today we're going to explore the history of the SBA, or Small Business Administration. Today, the SBA's mission is to maintain and strengthen the nation's economy by enabling the establishment and viability of small businesses and by assisting in the economic recovery of communities after disasters. SBA loans, like the PPP loans that have aided in the maintenance of the economy during COVID-19, are made through banks, credit unions, and other lenders who partner with the SBA, providing a government-backed guarantee on part of the loan. The SBA helps lead the federal government's efforts to deliver 23% of prime federal contracts to small businesses and has at least one office in each U.S. state. The SBA was officially established in 1953, but its philosophy and mission began to take shape years earlier in a number of predecessor agencies, largely as a response to the pressure of the Great Depression and World War II. In 1932, President Herbert Hoover established the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, or RFC, in order to alleviate the financial crisis of the Great Depression. This was essentially a federal lending program for all businesses hurt by the Depression, not unlike the design of the PPP loans we have now. It was adopted as the personal project of President Hoover's successor, Franklin D. Roosevelt. During World War II, large industries increased in size and capability in order to accommodate wartime defense contracts and left smaller businesses in the dust, unable to compete. In order to help small businesses participate in war production and establish financial viability, Congress created the Smaller War Plans Corporation in 1942. The SWPC provided direct loans to private entrepreneurs, encouraged larger financial institutions to make credit available to small enterprises, and advocated small business interests to federal procurement agencies and large businesses. The SWPC was dissolved after the war, and its lending and contract powers were handed off to the previously created RFC. At this time, the Office of Small Business inside the Department of Commerce also assumed educational responsibilities, foreshadowing the need for the SBA. These responsibilities included producing brochures and conducting management counseling for individual entrepreneurs, arming them with information and expertise surrounding the creation and maintenance of small businesses. During the Korean War, Congress created yet another wartime organization to handle business concerns called the Small Defense Plants Administration. The SDPA's functions were similar to those of the SWPC from World War II, except that the authority to lend money was retained by the Hoover-created RFC. The SDPA certified businesses to the RFC upon determination that the business could handle performing the contracted work. By 1952, a movement grew to abolish the RFC, and in response to this, in order to continue these important functions, President Eisenhower proposed the creation of a new small business agency, and he named it the Small Business Administration. The creation of the SBA came on July 30, 1952, as part of Congress's Small Business Act. The written functions of the SBA were to, quote, aid, counsel, assist, and protect, insofar as is possible, the interest of small business concerns. The charter also stipulated that the SBA would ensure small businesses a, quote, fair proportion of government contracts and sales of surplus property. By 1954, the SBA got to work making direct business loans and guaranteeing bank loans to small businesses, as well as making loans to victims of natural disasters, working to get government procurement contracts for small businesses and helping business owners with management and technical assistance and business training. Shortly after this, a Federal Reserve study discovered that small businesses could not get the credit they needed in order to keep pace with the technological advancement. Due to this, the Investment Company Act of 1958 established the Small Business Investment Company Program, under which the SBA licensed, regulated, and helped provide funds for privately owned and operated venture capital investment firms. They also provided long-term debt and equity investments to high-risk small businesses. In 1964, the SBA instituted the Equal Opportunity Loan Program, relaxing credit and collateral requirements for applicants living below the poverty line. 
The 60s and 70s saw a decent amount of turbulence within the SBA, as a number of loan programs were misallocated, especially as it related to minority-owned businesses. In 1976, the Office of Advocacy was created to protect SBA programs and small businesses within the federal government, and in 1980, the SBA changed how to determine whether a business is, quote, small, from considering several factors, like how much a company earns, how many people they employ, and the type of assistance requested to just one factor how many employees a company has. In the 1980s, under Ronald Reagan, the SBA saw large budget cuts and an unsuccessful attempt by the administration to shut the agency down. In 1993, the Clinton administration cut the SBA budget by 17%, and in 1996, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives planned to eliminate the agency. However, it survived and went on to receive a record-high budget in the year 2000. The Bush 43 administration reinvigorated these efforts only to be met by congressional resistance, although the budgets were severely cut and in 2004 all expenditures were frozen. In 2009, the Obama administration supported SBA budgets and strengthened it through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. In 2010, the SBA budgets were further strengthened by the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010, and in 2012, President Obama reversed his stance and cut the SBA's budget from its high level throughout the response to the recession and proposed consolidating the SBA with the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, and a handful of Commerce Department programs. The Trump administration has generally supported the ongoing SBA budget, especially through the COVID-19 pandemic, but not without nominating Linda McMahon, former WWE executive, to be the Small Business Administrator and proposing a budget cut of 5%. Whether or not the SBA should survive, we'll leave that up to you, the listener, and the incoming administration, whomever they are. Now, hopefully that didn't put you to sleep. And next up, we have an interview with Lloyd Chapman, which will give further insight into the SBA. So stay tuned. You're listening to Down the Middle, a political podcast. Now, back to some intermittent, moderate change. All right, so please welcome to the show Mr. Lloyd Chapman of the American Small Business League. Uh, Mr. Chapman, can you tell our listeners what the mission statement and purpose of the ASBL is and how that's morphed over time? Oh, the mission of the American Small Business League is to protect the largest economic stimulus program for the American people in history, the Small Business Act. And that law mandates that a minimum of 23% of all federal contracts go to small businesses. And uh, what I've discovered after 30 years of suing the government is it's largely been repealed by the Pentagon. And that as opposed to the 23%, small businesses are getting maybe 3%. And so I've been fighting to try to stop that for 32 years. And do you find that it's mostly Pentagon contracts or it's across the board? It's um, the fraud abuse in federal small business programs across the board. It's mainly at the Pentagon. The, the Pentagon is viciously anti-small business. Every year when the defense authorization bill is passed, there's always some language in there to weaken the Small Business Act every year. Is there precedent for that? Is there a reason behind it? The Small Business Act mandates that 23% of all contracts go to small businesses. That's a, a pool of money that's about $350 billion. And the big businesses want every penny the government spends. So if they can re- repeal that, you know, more money comes to them. So it's, a, it's greed basically greed. Uh, is the ASBL partisan? And if not, do you find yourself in step with either party considering the purpose of the organization, laying bare, like you just said, the abuses of power in government that these large corporations can take advantage of? I'm totally nonpartisan. I've, I've sued uh, Republican and Democratic administrations alike. I've sued every, uh, every administration since uh, 89. Wow. Uh, it doesn't really matter who the president is. Uh, these abuses in this in this program continue. And I was very disappointed. Um, Obama said he was going to stop the abuses, and and he didn't. And I was really surprised at that and disappointed. Yeah, I suppose a lot of these come from these uh, sort of career government officials who sometimes believe, I've found at least, believe that they're sort of above and beyond the, the executive because they're there their whole lives uh, versus the president who's there for eight years. Absolutely. In fact, I think most Americans don't realize that there's career bureaucrats in Washington, and that's who really runs the federal agencies. When the president appoints someone, you know, to head the agency, generally that person doesn't know anything about it. And uh, my experience has been that that people in the president's cabinet are fundraisers, and they they fly around the country and meet with people and uh, and raise money. But the people that run the agencies are people that have been there for you know. 10, 20, 30 years. And that, and that kind of doesn't change. Right. 
So can you give us a little bit of sort of a highlight reel of the multiple wins against the federal government that you've had? <laughs> the highlight reel. Like, you know, pick, pick some of the best ones. The best one was the first one that I won. I won that in the Ninth Circuit Court, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And that was my first time there. And um, the attorney for the uh, Pentagon, a, a woman, uh, started crying. And the judges were just screaming at her. I, uh, I walked out of the courtroom and she came out after me with this big, giant briefcase like pilots have. And she was crying. That was just a very strange. And quite frankly, um, it was very empowering <laughs> you know, to go into federal court. And, uh, you know, beat the Pentagon uh, and the Justice Department like that was very empowering. I guess another favorite was, um, oh, I sued the Small Business Administration for the names of all the firms that they said they gave small businesses to. And, of course, it included um, hundreds of uh, Fortune 1000 companies. And the judge ruled in my favor. And the judge ruled in my favor. She said, it's curious the SBA claims not to have the very information they would need to carry out their mission, which is a nice way of saying they're lying. Yeah. And then I, yeah. And um, I guess recently I, I, um, I won a case uh, against the Pentagon. I spent seven years in court. I spent a million dollars and I won that one. And during that uh, case, Judge William Alsop described me as being in a David and Goliath battle against big government and big business. And he accused the um, government of suppressing evidence and covering up evidence. And that was fun to be in the courtroom when he said that, you know? Right. Yeah, there's just so many things that happen. The things, the things that happen when you sue the government, uh, I think would be hard for people to believe. They, they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it. Oh, they don't like it. And uh, you probably, you've probably seen what's happened to whistleblowers, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, most of them go to prison, right? So I, I kind of view myself as a civilian you know, whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And the things they do to uh, try to stop you, like I said, it's just, I almost don't want to talk about it because it's just almost not believable. But sure, I, I, I was I was going to ask, can you tell us a couple of things without you know going too far so we don't get you in any trouble? <laughs> right. Well, you, no, I'm not I'm not going to get any trouble. But it's it the stories are so outrageous that you know I I it's almost embarrassing to tell people. Um, let me think. Um, the first thing that happened was uh, I would get phone calls, people telling me I was going to get hurt if I didn't drop the lawsuit. Right. And at first, I thought it was some friend of mine joking. And about the third one, I realized this guy's not joking. He said, um, if you don't drop, he said, you're interfering with one of the largest um, uh, government contracts in history. If you don't drop this lawsuit, you're going to get hurt. The first time, I thought it was a joke. The second time, I realized it wasn't a joke. And the third time, I said to the guy, who's going to hurt me? You? You're going to hurt me? I said, I'm from Texas. I've got a big... I've got a big six-shooter. Why don't you tell me where to meet you, and you can try to hurt me? Right. <laughs> and he hung up. No, you know what? I get goosebumps telling that story right now. And uh, that was that was fun. I really liked that. And um, they would follow me. Oh, sit outside my office. Just uh, oh, let's just say this. I hired uh, an internationally famous uh, investigative firm out of uh, New York called the Mintz Group to look in all this. They found. Uh, what they told me was a very large international organization had hacked into my website and um, all my communications uh, are interfered with. So my, my dad was in the CIA and back, gosh, 1975, he and I were talking and, um, you know, years before we got involved in this. And he told me that anytime someone sues the government, he says they um, uh, tap their phone and go through all their mail. Well, this is 2020. What do you think they do now, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, all my communications are monitored and uh, interfered with. Um, I sponsor the Palm Springs International Documentary Film Festival every year. And people from all over the world come, right? So every year I go and see these people and they go, I've been trying to call you for a year. They say, I've called your office, you know, repeatedly. And the phone just rings and rings and rings. Yeah. And um, I don't get emails. Right. Um, so I shouldn't yeah. be surprised if the if our internet just goes out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you 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 mentioned you were completely nonpartisan, and absolutely, uh, and and you also uh, used the term several times, uh, big government. 
And yeah, I, as we know, Republicans always run on the concept that they will decrease the size of government. So is there any evidence that, th- that this problem gets smaller when, when, Repu- when it's a Republican gover- government versus Democratic? All right. So I'm, I'm pushing 71. Okay. And uh, I've been in every office in the Senate at least once, maybe twice. I've been in every office in the House. I've met almost every president uh, in my lifetime. And um, I've been around Washington a lot. And uh, here's, the, here's the ugly truth. Uh, Ronald Reagan tried to close the Small Business Administration and, and all programs for small businesses. He tried it twice. And that's that's documentable. I've, I've got uh, the uh, the TV video from uh, was it 1980 something. I got it from Vanderbilt University. Bush uh, Senior was okay with small business. Uh, Bush Junior, um, when he appointed uh, Hector Bredo to head the SBA, I've got a friend who was standing next to Hector uh, when Bush told him, "I want this agency closed by the end of my first term." And uh, he cut the SBA budget and staff by fifty percent. And during Katrina, they had to hire 2,000 temporary workers. Uh, Senator Burr proposed legislation to close the SBA. And I went on uh, Fox and debated uh, Fran Tarkington about that. And uh, But yeah, to tell you the truth, um, documentably, Republican presidents have tried to close the SBA. You know, to me, it's anti-small business, but it's probably they're so pro-big business. You know, and to tell you the truth, big business doesn't like small business, particularly when it comes to federal contracting. Because, um, you know, they, they want all the money. But uh, I will say that uh, Obama tried to close the SBA by combining it with the Department of Commerce. By the way, the, the plan to close the SBA has always been to combine it with the Department of Commerce. That's always been the plan, right? In 2016, I um, made a YouTube video predicting that Trump would try to close the SBA. And he's cut the budget every year. And his 2021 budget for the SBA was uh, about a 25% cut. So, so uh, most people don't realize, most people think eh, the SBA is nothing, right? Well, remember, the Small Business Act is the largest economic stimulus program for the American people in history. In history and it's right. run by the SBA, right? So let me throw some numbers out for you. Uh, according to the Census Bureau, 98% of all firms in this country have less than 100 employees. And they're responsible for over 98% of all net new jobs. So America is a small business economy. Fortune 500 firms haven't created one net new job since 1980. And many of the largest Fortune 500 pay zero federal income tax. So it, it makes sense um, to give you know, 23% to small businesses. The SBA is the only agency in government to uh, help small businesses. And again, small businesses are where most Americans work. It's where most of the tax dollars come from. It's where most of the gross domestic product comes from, and yet the SBA budget was bigger when Reagan was president than it is today. Yeah, I'm afraid uh, Republicans are, are uh, a little more aggressive in trying to end small business programs than, than Democrats. But uh, you know, I'm I'm, pers- I'm personally curious about this because both my wife and I are small business owners, and you know, considering you were born and raised in Texas and having been in California since 1986, we live in in Los Angeles. Uh, what changes can you speak to in how California is run, Los Angeles in particular? My father was a contracting officer for the Air Force in Sacramento. Uh, after he retired from the CIA, he moved from. Uh, Warrington, Virginia, Sacramento. And I learned a lot about uh, that, you know, listening to him sit around the dining room table. And uh, back in the past, I'll say, quite frankly, prior to the Reagan administration, federal government and government contractors really made a good faith effort to try to hit those small business goals, right? Uh, Right around uh, when Reagan was elected, the first thing he did was change the definition from a maximum of 100 employees to 500 employees. And that made a big difference. Think about uh, a small business with 10 employees, and you're already having to compete with a company with 100 employees. And then, you know, the next day you got to compete with, you know, someone with 500 employees, right? You, you can't do it, right? So I would say that uh, the government has become more, um, I can only describe anti small business. Right. And it's, it seems to get worse and worse and worse. And um, uh, in 2002, I convinced the Government Accountability Office to investigate fraud in federal um, small business contracting programs. I gave them a bunch of information I'd uncovered. And they spent six months, six guys, six months, 
And at the end of the time frame, they found that there were around 5,300 large businesses, including Fortune 500 firms, uh, in the SBA's database of small businesses. And I remember back in those days, I remember seeing Home Depot and Office Depot and Office Max and, gosh, um, uh, British Aerospace and Engineering, Honda, Disney, Coke. Right. Just almost every Fortune 500 firm was on the list back in you know 2002. So I'm afraid it's gotten worse. And this PPP program is just a typical example. It was uh, passed as a program to help small businesses. And, um, you know, they gave out millions to billionaires. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So you don't see this on the, on the national news. You don't see people on, you know, CNN and ABC and NBC and CBS talking about the fact that small businesses create 98% of the net new jobs. It's yeah, true, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. just, you don't hear it. And uh, I wish more people, you know, realize that and realize that the SBA is the only agency to help, you know, small businesses. But um, it just doesn't get the kind of uh, attention that I think it deserves. Leading off of that, what influenced you originally to start the ASBA? I went to work for a friend of mine who started a little computer company. I was going to help her for six months. And uh, my dad, you know, had gone to work there and he taught me how to do a freedom of information request. Back in those days, government contractors had to put together a small business subcontracting plan uh, to submit to any agency they were you know, working with that showed how they could work with small businesses. And he showed me how to uh, get copies of those and try to find um, government contractors, mainly in the defense industry, they're looking for, you know, to buy computers. Mm-hmm. And so the first one I did was a um, contract for a, a jet fighter. And back then, the law said small business should get 20%. So um, I did a freedom of information request for the small business subcontract plan on, on that contract. And it came back and I looked at it. I thought it was a typo. It said the small business goal was 16,100 to 1%. And I called the guy. First name was Tony, I think. And he said, and I thought it was a, you know, a typo. And they put the decimal point in the wrong place. And that's what it is. So Barbara Boxer was my uh, Congress lady. And, I, and I, I'd met her a few times. So I called her. And she put me in touch with Les Aspen, who was the chair of the um, House Armed Services Committee. And they did a congressional investigation, called the Pentagon, you know, there before the committee. And as a result of that uh, little episode, the Pentagon had to uh, increase small business contracting dollars on that contract from 694000 to $501 million. So I got a half a billion dollars more for small businesses with about six phone calls a day. That's easy. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess another thing that, that motivated me was uh, I, I was, became the sales manager of this little computer company. And one day, uh, a lady came to my office. Her name was Margie. And she was crying. And she had spent several months working on what's called a small business set-aside contract. And that's a contract from a federal agency that they only bid out to small businesses, right? And she had lost. She worked on it for several months. And she thought she had a good shot of winning it. And she lost it to a company in Amsterdam with 26,000 employees around the world in 48 countries. And I was puzzled by that, you know. So I started looking into it. And I, I, I discovered the SBA's database of small businesses back in those days called ProNet. As I went through it, I saw virtually every Fortune 500 firm in there. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got started doing it. You know, as you've gone through the, the years, the 80s, 90s, uh, you know, 2000s, what are the major differences you've felt in working with or against, I should, I should say, the government? Has, has Congress and the related branches become more polarized? Is it, it definitely feels that way. Is it, is it accurate? You've been doing this a long time. Yeah, you know, um, I was telling somebody about this the other day. When I was, you know, maybe a teenager, there would be political differences. and um, but once somebody was elected president, he was everybody's president. Right. See, I'm old enough. When I was in elementary school, I, I had a little button called I like Ike. That's how old I am, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> Dating right. yourself there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like I think it was in the fourth grade, you know? And my dad was a Republican. And, um, but back in those days, uh, once someone was elected, he was our president, right? And you were behind him. And as we've gone into the future, that's not the case anymore, right? No. Definitely not. Congress used to work together to get things done. Even Reagan run, won, what, 50 states? 
Yeah. Could you imagine yeah. that nowadays? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. But I used to love Ronald Reagan. I was heart. I, I loved Reagan. And then I um, found these um, uh, videos um, where he had uh, tried to close a small business administration. I was, you know, heartbroken. He was my hero. So, so yeah, things have just gotten worse and worse. And, you, you know, just in your lifetimes, I'm sure you've seen it becomes uh, more divisive and, and um, it, it's more hostile more aggressive, more angry. Congress doesn't seem to care about what's best for the, for the American people. They want to win. It's, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a war, and they just want to win. I, I could tell you a million stories, but you know, when, when your party controls either House of Congress, you get a lot of contributions. But when your party is out of power, no one wants to give you money. So that's, that's a big deal. Another thing that I've witnessed personally is that most people don't know about, but when your party loses control of, of either House of Congress, uh, you've got to move. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. remember, yeah, you've got to move. And so when, when your party, uh, you know, there's a personal the, incentive there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. being in um, a nice office of uh, a Democrat in, in, in Congress, and then they lost control of the, of the House. And the next time I went to see them, they were in the basement. Right. And I'm, I'm talking like in the basement. I think the ceiling might have been, you know, you could reach up and touch the ceiling and there were pipes, you know. So it went from having a nice office to literally being in what looked like a utility area with, you know, pipes and and, uh, you know, a, a six foot ceiling, you know. Yeah, it's kind of sad, by the way. It's, it's very sad to see how things have have uh, degenerated. It's 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 unfortunate. I mean, the flip side of that is there's there's also a political incentive, sometimes at least, for being the opposition party. You know, there's benefits that come from both being the party in power and the party that's opposed. Well, I think it's better to be the party in power. Yeah, prob- <laughs> if, probably. If you, get to, Pro- if you have to pick, right? You have yeah, to if, pick you, if, you, if you have to pick, but, but uh, of course. But, you know, it seems as if there are political issues that get left on the table so that they could be just so that we could use them as a as a political weapon to win next time. So yeah, yeah, there's there's less of an incentive to solve problems than there is to sort of keep them around. And the op- when you're the opposition party, you get to be the one screaming loudest about those issues. That's so, true. That's yeah. true. Um, I'll tell you, in 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 32 years of doing this, you can imagine how many people have contacted me. Oh, of course, yeah. I've I've done. I've done every news program. I, I can't think of a news program that I haven't done at least once, right? I've done Fox and NBC and ABC and CBS and CNBC and all that stuff, right? I even did RTTV. Right, and okay. uh, I would, you know, get all these people, you know, calling me, the, the stories that people tell. And right. the, uh, uh, you know, they are um, conspiracy nuts. And then there are people that have uncovered real stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? I'm sure, you know? I'm sure, yeah. And uh, gosh, you know, I, I, I could go on for, you know, days talking about it. What did John Bolton say about Trump? Saw conspiracies under rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go, there you go. So speaking of which, how is the current lawsuit coming? Tell us a little bit about it. You know, you're, this is with the Trump administration and the SBA uh, and everything that has to do with the PPP loans. Give us, give us a, a summation of all of that. Well, let me start off by saying that my win ratio after 32 years is 98.5%. <laughs> so when you're, when you're the attorney for the Justice Department going up against, you know, Lloyd Chapman, American Small Business League. Yeah, they're you not know, excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're probably not going to do well. And um the judges always yell at them. It's always fun. I love to, I love to go, and the judges get very very angry, and it really is, it's actually very exciting to go to go watch that. But I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to win. the The PPP lawsuit is under the Freedom of Information Act, and the Freedom of Information Act has you know uh, uh, exemptions like six seven exemptions, right? And this information does not fall under any of those exemptions, so you can't withhold it. It's real clear. You know, it's, it, it's really not something that needs to go to court. So there's, um, I've got a case management conference on Zoom on the 16th, and then I've got a hearing on the um, 23rd. And a lot of times in a case like this, the very first time we actually go before the judge, I win. Right. Because they've, they've got nothing. Yeah. They, right. they, they can't cite any you know, previous cases, whatever. So I, I think there's a good chance 
that even on the 16th and 23rd, I'm going to win. I filed a summary judgment motion. I just can't think of what they can say, you know, to withhold the data. And uh, so I think I'm going to win. And the funny thing is, you know, there's another lawsuit by um, a lot of the mainstream media um, with the New York Times and the Washington Post and things like that. And I'm about a week ahead of them. I'm not sure how that happened, but um, but it, it could be that I'll get the information before anybody else in the country gets it. And uh, that would be fun. But um, it's yeah, it's going great. And and um, I'm filing two more lawsuits this week. I'm, I'm suing the Trump administration or refusing to release the um, annual um, acquisition budget. They won't release what that is. And I'm suing for the emails of some SBA executives that I think are involved in some uh, illegal activity. Is this, is this related to the loans? Yeah, I, um, uh, some of the upper SBA executives, uh, I think, are involved in some very nefarious activities. And um, uh, I've, I've asked for their phone records and their emails, and they won't give them to me. And, and generally, if you ask for that, you know, from most little agencies, they just they just email them to you. You never hear from them. They just email it to you. Right. But if you want, if you want anything from the Small Business Administration, you're going to federal court. Again, people think the SBA is not a big deal. I once I once had a uh, international journalist tell me, if you want to put your editor to sleep, talk to him about stories about small business. Right. Right. Try to talk to somebody from the SBA and see what happens. You know, for a journalist. Yeah, try try to talk to, for example, Terry Sutherland, who's a spokesman for the SBA. You'll never do it. It'll never happen. So the SBA, the SBA is a little bitty agency. Their annual budget is seven hundred, you know, million dollars, which is nothing, right? And uh, yeah, try to talk to Terry Sutherland. See what happens. You will never talk to him. You'll be more likely to talk to Trump than Terry yeah, Sutherland right, or anybody about right. the SBA. And here they were thrust into yeah. the into the limelight, essentially. Right. And now the, all of the rocks have to be uncovered because. You know, they, they could operate in the shadows before, but this was right in, in plain view of the entire country. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I was um, on the flip floor, which is executive level of the SBA, meeting with the inspector general. And back in those days, the inspector general for the SBA would launch investigations based on information that I'd uncovered. And I would work very closely with them. So I'm, I'm up on the executive level and um, get out of the elevator, go to the right. And the um, SBA administrator, who's on the president's cabinet, her office just to the right. I could have walked right in there. And then the inspector general at the end of the hall was the uh, chief counsel for the SBA. And so I had this meeting you know, with them. And um, I was actually suing the SBA for the phone records of their communications director, Mike Stamler. So as I got in the elevator, the doors were closing. I saw the sign on the wall said SBA press office pointing that way. And I said, wait a minute, I'm going to go in there and harass this guy, right? So I got out of the elevator and I went around the corner to, you know, to go stand in front of his desk and say, hey, Mike, how's this going? You know, and he was, he, you know, and I saw a stainless steel door with a piece of bulletproof glass about that big and a key and a keypad. And it looked like something out of the a movie Stargate. <laughs> okay. And um, I've been all around Washington. I've been all around. I've, I've been in a little secret underground train that they members of Congress right on. Right. I've been I've been in the Senate dining room with uh, Teddy Kinney sitting behind me having lunch, right? And I've never seen a door like that. Uh, what I believe is that the Pentagon runs the Small Business Administration. And, and that's why uh, the only, I've, I've lost two lawsuits in my lifetime. And one of them was the was phone records for the SBA um, press office director. So yeah, it's very mysterious. That's you know? interesting. Um, yeah. Let's just say this. If you're going to pick someone to be a, a deputy administrator of the SBA, let's see. Does this guy sound like uh, he's got the qualifications? His specialty is surface weapons warfare systems. <laughs> That's going to yeah, be helpful, yeah. right? Yeah, if, yeah. If, no, if you're doesn't, a small business, yeah, if you're a small business, you know what? I need some uh, help with my surface <laughs> weapons warfare systems. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, Maybe small that's, business in Israel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They need weapons over there, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, so their their deputy administrator, Terry Sullivan, is a retired naval commander whose background is surface weapons warfare system. Right. And about two years ago, another deputy administrator was also a retired naval commander. So let's just say Lloyd Chapman thinks that the Pentagon is run by the, excuse me, the SBA is run by the Pentagon. And you've got all these uh, former Pentagon officials at the SBA, the office the door to the press office is, is looks like uh you know a bank vault and they won't give you their phone records so 
You know, what's that sound like to you? Right. Yeah, if you know any any uh, people in the media, yeah, try to talk to somebody from the SBA. Hey, Lloyd told me I should give you a call and see what they yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm particularly interested in the in the PPP issue because both my wife and I, as small business owners, receive yeah. PPP money, well, good. And, and, and now now we are in the forgiveness phase, which is a lot harder than I anticipated. You yeah. know, I, I was I, I really was hoping that sort of if you got under twenty thousand dollars or something in PPP money, they would just automatically forgive you uh, considering uh-huh. considering the pandemic. But can you can you go into just a little bit of detail on the criminality that might be involved in this issue? OK, I'll tell you something. It's a little bit different than people think. OK, there's been a lot of stories in the press about it. And it kind of looks like people are, you know, taking advantage of the program. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've got a thing here in my hand where uh, Ashford Hospitality Trust Inc., with uh, annual revenue of 1.5 billion, got a um, 30 million dollar PPP loan. Right. This is the this is the kind of these are the things you're seeing make yeah. the press. Yeah. These large corporations yeah. getting big amount, big amounts of money. Well, I've got a I've got an article here, uh, and it looks like there's about uh, oh 15 or 20 publicly traded companies, all with revenue over you know 200 billion a year getting PPP loans, right? And the purpose of the PPP program was to save jobs. That was its function, right? One of these companies that got um, you know, a big PPP loan laid off 95% of their employees. But here's, here's my point. Um, the PPP program was designed to get the result that it got. It wasn't like an accident. Oh, gosh, whatever. Uh, remember I said that um, 98% of all U.S. firms have less than 100 employees? Well. 89% of less than 20, and the average American company is 10 employees. When Congress wrote this program, they wrote it so that companies with up to five employees per location could get the, get the money. So hypothetically, if you had a million employees across the country, but no more than 500 in any one location, you, you qualified, right? So, so, so it wasn't like uh, you know, uh, people taking advantage of the program. It was, it was written. Right, it's sort of a, ba- a bailout for these larger companies. Yeah. To tell you the truth, this is a typical federal small business program. You can Google Fortune 500 firms getting federal small business contracts, corporate jobs getting small business contracts, you know, SBA fraud. And it's, this has been in the media for, gosh, 15, 20 years, right? But, but the PPP program and publicly traded companies getting millions and, and you know, small business loans, that's just, that's just typical. It's been that way for, you know, 20 years. Right. And uh, but it, I wish that um, it got more more publicity because, uh, again, it's the largest economic stimulus program for the American people in history. And it's essentially been repealed. You know, the Small Business Act has basically been repealed you know, with, um, you know, probably several hundred little minor changes. You know, uh, I've learned a lot about legislation, by the way. If you have a piece of legislation that says, that um, a company shall do something, that means you have to do it. So just picture a leg- piece of a legislation that's three inches thick. They take the word shall and change it to may. It's out the window. Change one word from shall to may. Boom, it's out, it's out the window, right? And um, I wrote a piece of legislation called the Fairness and Transparency in Contracting Act. And it basically says that the government would not give small bits of contracts to Fortune 500 firms. Never made it out of committee. It was introduced into Congress three times. Never made it out of committee. And what did pass, though, was the safe harbor from fraud penalties policy. They actually passed a policy called the safe harbor from fraud penalties. So if you're found guilty of um, committing felony federal contracting fraud with the penalty is 10 years in prison, basically all you have to do is say you acted in good faith and you're off the hook. How about that? So is there that because go. these corporations, uh, you know, they give to so many of these campaigns? Guessing that's the obvious answer. Well, yeah. Yeah, to tell you the truth, I remember, um, I can't think of the website, but um, there's a website where you can go and, and uh, look and see um, who's donating to, you know, to, uh, Open Secret, I think it is, Open Secret, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Heard of it. And the funny thing is, uh, you look at who's giving money to the House and Senate Small Business Committee. It's Fortune 500 firms. Oh, and guess what? Some of the biggest defense contractors, you know, on the planet. When I think about it, it it's more corrupt than I think the average American would, would believe. 
It's just it's just more corrupt than people would believe. I uh, I hear a lot of people, you know, talking about politics on TV and on the radio and podcast. And I sit there listening and go, it's much worse than that. Right. <laughs> much, yeah, you, you don't know the half of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's 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 much worse than that. We've all heard about um, people lobbying Congress and giving them money to get what you want. Right. Right. Well, today in 2020, they have a new thing where if you if you're a member of Congress and you don't give the Pentagon what they want. You're probably should start looking for a job. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. yeah. So they don't they don't so much try to um, bribe people or, or give them donations. They'll they'll punish you if you don't, you know. Right. It's almost like yeah. a mob. Yeah. 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 Well, you know like. what? Yeah. So uh, how about this? So here's here's a good example of, of how bad things are. In twenty, when twenty, and this is so, you guys are very well informed. I bet you've never heard of this. Okay, right? I, you guys are very smart. You're very well informed. We know a thing and, or two. That's right. So, in 2016, the Inspector General for the Pentagon released a report and said the Pentagon could not account for 6.5 trillion dollars in acquisitions. Did you hear about that? No, I've never heard that. That's not right. On, not Look on, it uh, up. Yeah, that's right. Me. That wasn't so, even on page six of the New York Times. That's right. Yeah. So that should have been on CNN. That there should have been right. a congressional oh, yeah. best, You know, that should have been like Watergate, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it was barely mentioned. So you can Google it and find it. You know, six point five a trillion missing. Think about the six point five trillion dollars missing, right? And um, here's something creepy: on um, the day before nine eleven, Donald Rumsfeld gave a speech. And he said, America's biggest enemy, the biggest threat to our national security is not some foreign dictator or some foreign country. He said, it's the Pentagon bureaucracy is the biggest threat to our nation's security. And he said, it's putting the lives of men and women in uniform in danger. And he said, the Pentagon can't track 2.3 trillion in acquisitions. That was the day before 9-11, he said that. But what it reminds me of, by the way, is Eisenhower's speech where he says, beware of the uh, growing power of the military industrial complex. So if you go back and watch that speech and then listen to Rumsfeld's speech the day before 9-11, very, very similar. Eerie. Yeah, very, that's, yeah, that's downright yeah. eerie. Yeah, that's is. right. Very yeah. similar. But, um, you know, this, 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 this pandemic has uh, made me think about something. The CDC budget is $11.1 billion. And, two, you know, I'd say by Halloween, a quarter million people will have died from the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, I would like, you know, I think it'd be reasonable to take the CDC budget and make it 10 times bigger. Easily, sure. yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. right. Anyway, that's just a, that's a little side, you know, yeah, road that, right. that popped into my head as I think about this stuff, right? But, <laughs> right uh, of course. Yeah, but, no, absolutely. That, that's yeah, a good all, point. All these um, uh, political discussions, like I said, are much, much worse than people know. Yeah, no, I believe it. There, there, We sort of alluded to it earlier, but there is an entire sort of underbelly of career bureaucrats they have a lifetime of learning how to do this without getting caught under the radar and they just operate this way and everyone who's elected they're or or appointed they're just they just sort of float around and these guys are the real guys they believe that they're they're the government and so they can decide what happens and they have their own industry essentially the word you're looking for justin is deep state yeah you know what <laughs> i was getting ready to say that i'll tell you something guys that's that's real I would I would say that the 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 so-called deep state um doesn't necessarily work to our detriment all the time. Sometimes it's to our benefit. There are probably a lot of things that happen that we're not supposed to know for our own benefit. I have to believe that at least. I, otherwise, I get to I get too cynical about it. You know, yeah, completely. And, and I was going to say, additionally, we we don't want some of these guys that are appointed. I mean, look, my dad's one of them for W. We don't want these guys that were appointed for fundraising running the government necessarily you know some right. of them are capable most of them aren't mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i think that um when you when you see what's going on in washington you don't see legislation that's passed that benefits the american people you just don't see it right i i saw some some independent think tank did a study a couple of years ago and said 98 percent of the time congress passes legislation that big corporations want i'll have to say you know again my opinion is that um, Fortune 500 firms pretty much own the government. And I, I remember seeing the cover of Time magazine that had a, a picture of the Capitol 
uh, made out of cut out hundred dollar bills that has said the best government money can buy. Right. Right. If you spend a lot of time in Washington, you, you see that money. I remember waiting outside to talk to, you know, some staffer, you know, uh, or a senator, a member of Congress, and you'd see these guys, maybe two of them, three of them sitting there in $5,000 custom-made suits with uh, French cuff shirts with these gold uh, cufflinks with the presidential seal on them. So that's the biggest status symbol in Washington is to have those cufflinks that the president has given you. And they'll, they'll wear their suits, uh, sleeves cut back so those cufflinks can show, so right? you can see them, right. Oh, yeah, like, here you go. And, uh, you know... These guys are wearing, you know, uh, you know, two thousand dollars shoes, five thousand dollars suits, and uh, they're going to talk to the senator, right? right. And yeah. I'm there to talk to some some young guy who's like twenty five years old, something like that. But when you go, when you go to, I guess what you call Capitol Hill, you see these guys, and those are the people that decides that decide, you know, what legislation is going to get passed. Another funny thing about going to Congress is it looks like a high school dorm or a college dorm. The average age, if you're walking down the hall in the Senate, is probably like you know 27. Yeah, yeah sure. it's mostly young people for sure. Yeah, they're not writing legislation. Yeah, uh, they, don't, legislation, they don't make a lot of money either. No, no. Um, the legislation is written by the lobbyists. I would say, I bet, I would say 90, 95 percent of legislation is written by lobbyists. Yeah. Yeah, we and we we've been hearing that for a long, long time. I think there's a yeah. there's definitely people who don't believe it, and others who 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 absolutely know that to be true, and think of think about our government in a very cynical nature to begin with. So, like I said, it's it's very unfortunate, and I think it's going to come home to roost here in the first quarter of 2021. So uh, we've seen these statistics that um, uh, the PPP money, I would say, was misallocated. Right. Companies like yours and your wife's company, that's yeah. who it was meant for. Not these billionaires, uh, you know, that have annual revenue of, you know, 250 uh, million to, to over a billion dollars. Right. So that, that money was misallocated. Um, that's why I'm in court to get the, the data, by the way. And um, we're going to lose about a third of the 30 million small businesses. About 10 million small businesses are gone forever. And uh, what is it? Forty million people have have filed for unemployment. Yeah, yeah. No, they, it. it ha- I, I've been saying that from an economic economic standpoint, we are we're still uh, we have no idea how this is going to pan out because it's still artificial. Everyone's collecting unemployment money. That's right. When 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 that when that runs out, then uh, stuff's going to really hit the fan. Let's just say that we have. I mean, we, we have no idea of how this is going to pan out. To me. I, I can't see how this doesn't end up being another Great Depression with, with everything that's happening. You know what? I agree with you completely. There's, there's no way it cannot be like that, right? So when, when you're losing, you know, America is a small business economy. Again, that's where most of the jobs come from. I say most, all of the jobs. Remember, 98% of all net new jobs, right? So Fortune 5 firms haven't created one net new job since 1980. Many of the largest Fortune 500 firms pay no federal income tax. That was shocking. Google that. Google Fortune 500 firms uh, pay no federal income tax and look at the list. You'll be stunned, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big problem. In fact, uh, I'm predicting a lot more writing and a lot more violence. Yeah, no, I, I, I unfortunately be- believe that that is, that is the conclusion here, that that's where we're going. So we will see. But um, yeah, it's a very interesting time. I mean, in LA alone, they're talking about how two thirds of the restaurants are going to close. I mean, you're talking about millions and millions of jobs. And the trickle down effect of that, it's not just the the people who work at the restaurants, obviously, but all the suppliers and the the, the people who bring the stuff to the restaurant. I mean, it's it's almost overwhelming to even wrap your head around at this point. And and there are people who are, you know, they're, they're looking at all the what's going on now. And they're saying, well, everything seems fine. And, and like what you said, Mr. Chapman, yeah. this is going to it, occur over a long period of time because you still have uh, eviction forgiveness. You still have all, the, all right. these things that are happening right. right now that it's going to take a minute to really see what, uh, you know, how, how bad that this is. I, I'll tell you something. I, I believe that um, it's going to be a significant economic downturn. And I think it's going to be the result of 30 years of anti-small business policies coming out of Washington. I, I really believe that. So this PPP program is just the, the most recent example. 90% of that money should have gone to companies with, with less than 100 employees. 
Yeah. And I think maybe 20% did. Right. And this, this, uh, publicly traded company got $30 million. That would have saved a lot of small businesses, that 30 million. A lot of small businesses need 10 grand, 20 grand, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, you could have saved, you know, thousands of small business with the money that they gave these publicly traded companies, they could have saved, oh gosh, a quarter million small businesses or more. You know, I've talked to uh, a barber in Oregon. He needed like $10,000, you know, to keep his doors open. Right. And uh, so, yeah, you could have saved a lot of small businesses, but the government has been, uh, you know, passing what I'll call these anti-small business uh, uh, legislation policies for, for 30 years. And I think it's going to come home to roost here in the first quarter of 2021. Right. It's, you know, with the Great Depression, and there was obviously, even to this day, people are looking back in terms of what caused it. You know, this might be the big catalyst that, that you know, 50 years from now when the history books are written, you know, we could, we should have put more effort into saving the small business community. Maybe that was really what triggered the economic collapse that we're I believe it. I believe it. it. It's it's logical, just logical, right? Ninety eight percent of all U.S. companies have less than employees. They create ninety eight percent of the jobs. That's where all the PP money should have been. You know, that's that's the that's the bullseye. Those people, right? And yet the banks, you know, want to see the banks got um, uh, you know fees for these multi million dollar loans, right? This this guy that got thirty million dollars, uh, some bank made a huge fee off of that, right? Yeah, right. And they're, they're, I believe I, I calculated the other night. The other night, banks have gotten fifteen billion in fees for processing the loans. Fifteen billion dollars, yeah, right? That's insane. Yeah. Um, gosh, think what we could do with that, you know? But uh, talking to you guys is really just making my my mind just spin here. I'm probably yeah, jumping around too much. We could we could sit here forever and do this. Oh. I think actually, I think I think a, a perfect place to leave this is is on what you just said, that the importance of small businesses and the role that they play in, in, in the American economy. And uh, I think that's uh, that's the takeaway. Of yeah, this. So I, we I, really I thank you for right. all the work you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's it's uh, quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we mentioned, you know, Rob and, and his wife, Sarah, have small businesses. So the work you do directly affects us here. We appreciate you fighting so hard and for coming on the show and giving us all of this very important information. Now take a second and tell us where our listeners can find more information on the ASBL, keep up to date with the work you're doing, and maybe where they can help. Well, ASBL.com, uh, LloydChapman.com, and I'm actually working on a website called Lloyd Chapman's Memory Lane. And I've made, I've made videos of all the crazy things that have happened to me for the last 30 years and being an advocate for small business. Yeah, uh, quite uh, interesting, and I think people like it. I'm going to launch that in about a week. It'll, you know, Lloyd Chapman, Lloyd Chapman's Memory Lane. Uh, keep your fingers crossed. If I'm lucky, on the 16th or the 23rd, I will have uh, the names. I'll be the first person in the country to have the names of all the companies that got the uh, PPP money and how much they got. Interesting. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the show and uh, enlightening us. And uh, have a good rest of your evening. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. This has been another episode of Down the Middle, the fastest growing moderate political podcast in the nation. Go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Five stars, people. Five stars. All right. Good night for now.